It's okay to filter your pictures, but do not filter your emotions. Like, tell it like it is. So many people are hiding so many things and living double lives, trying to have this image out there. My thing is, I'll, I'll edit my pictures, I'll put filters on them, but when it comes to my emotions and my mind, I will speak them as they are. You're listening to Out of Line with Caroline Lee, exploring offline realities with online personalities. Mama Cax is a Haitian-American blogger, advocate, model, and motivational speaker. Cax uses her Instagram channel as a platform to talk about body positivity and as a source of inspiration for what life with a disability can look like. She travels the world fearlessly, even after having lost her leg to cancer as a teenager. In fact, her travel is so extensive that she's the one who inspired my own trip to Tunisia. And the first time we met in person was in Rome earlier this year because our paths in Italy happened to cross. She now lives in New York City where she is currently working on her master's. So we had a call to record this discussion. All right, so it is so rad to have you here today. And I love that we met on the interwebs um, and also that we've met in person one time in Rome, NBD. Um, but it's it's awesome to have you here today. And uh, I just want to dive right in and ask, um, at what point did you get discovered? I think um, it, for me, it started with joining um, Instagram specifically. And I think just like everyone else, I sort of, you know, started using it as a way to share my daily stuff, you know, pictures of food and everything. And at that point, it was strictly just sharing with friends and family members. But I think part of me had never really been completely comfortable so it was always this thing of trying to hide myself and um, being insecure about so many things, especially, you know, the physical body. And I just sort of like started, started posting some of those insecurities and trying to talk about how I deal with those things and trying to figure out if any of my friends, you know, had the same sentiments, um, which is funny because at that time, my Instagram was not private. So obviously I started getting feedback from like strangers and positive ones at that. Um, and I think the very first article that came out was from Huffington Post. They kind of like interviewed me and that sort of went around. And then next thing I knew it was different magazines and different magazines. And I think that's how I sort of like built like a following on Instagram. I didn't even know that. That's rad. (laughs) Yeah. So I would say since then, in terms of, um, posting, not much has changed. I think the major thing that's changed is how I curate my content. It's more thought out. Um, but in terms of what the subject that I tackle, I, I think they're pretty much stayed almost the same. Now that I do have this huge following, the challenge is always trying to engage people more and trying to have more content. Yeah. So with all of that, has your your online identity been something that you have had a say in how it's shaped Or is that something that's been more shaped by your interviews or by the the things that the stories that have come out about you? I think I would like to think that I decide what I want to post. But to be frank, um, I think the sort of followers that I have, I try to kind of like cater to to, to them a little bit. 
because I feel like when I first started, it was very much about traveling, right? And I really wanted to tackle um, accessible traveling, traveling with a disability, that sort of thing. But then I feel, which is very much the case, I, I still sort of like tackle those issues. But I think there was such a strong need for like body positive message because when I did share a couple, I had so many people who could relate whether they were amputees or not. So many people could relate to that, a lot of women, because I think my following is like 60 to 70 percent women. So I think I'm more prone to sharing those kind of message um, because I think that's what's needed more than anything. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. I found you because of your travel work. And um, I've always been so inspired and and also just like challenged that there's nowhere I shouldn't go. And Mm -hmm. like you were even the one who inspired our trip to Tunisia this year Um, because you're the only person that I've known that's ever been there. And it was like just knowing a little bit about it and hearing you talk about this is what it was like and this is what, um, you know, this is what not to be afraid of. I think yeah. having someone who um, is is just willing to talk about that and and be an example of like fearless world embracing is um, is something like you've you've changed my life just because of the fact that you do that. So uh-huh. I love that you do that. Yeah. I mean, like I literally going to Tunisia, you, you hooked us up with like a rad driver and um, <laughs> that, that totally changed our whole experience there. And so whenever people are like, I don't even know where Tunisia is. I always think of, of you and how you really do set that example. So I love that that's a part of, of who you really are and who you are mm-hmm. online. Um, it seems like there's, some of a crossover in your air quotes brand um, of like <laughs> of like what you're known for and also who you really are as a person. Yeah. So is there anything that you don't talk about online? Is there anything that you, um, you know, that are, are there things that you kind of avoid or specifically won't talk about? Um, I wouldn't say something that I wouldn't specifically not talk about, but there's some things that I've avoided talking about for, for quite some time, which I've been contemplating writing a blog post. Um, but it's one of those things where I really need to be careful in my wording and, um, make it really neat so that there are no loopholes. Cause I have written stuff that have gone slightly viral or have been shared, you know, by other, um, bigger magazines. So this is one of those, um, topics that I really want to be careful about. So one thing that I think is very important that I've wanted to talk about is dating, not only as an amputee, but as a person with a disability overall. Mm. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's a, it's a crazy topic because, uh, I think, a lot of people have this misconception that people with disabilities are like asexual or they don't even think about it. It's like disability and sexuality don't even come close to the same sentence. Um, and the biggest thing I think a lot of people with disabilities sort of like try to avoid is, um, I mean, I know we all try to avoid weird people, but in the disability community overall, one thing, um, that's very common is like meeting someone who actually has like a disability fetish. Oh, wow. Yes. And this thing is a whole world out there. Um, but 
I can only speak as my experience as an amputee and I don't want to kind of like generalize that even, but any amputee will tell you when they first become an amputee, there are two sort of communities that they learn about. They learn about, um, transabled and those are people who wish to become disabled by any means. Um, so going to the extreme from injecting themselves with, um, weird substances to get to that point or doing it themselves. And another community would be what they've labeled themselves as devotees. Those are people who actively look for amputees to, um, to have as girlfriends or other disabled people. Wow. Yeah, that is definitely um, a topic that I can imagine is a really sensitive one. And mm-hmm. I, I even just hearing you say that, I, I have so many questions. Um, yeah. Do you... Well, do you, are you able to just kind of give a a broad overview of those two communities and kind of your experiences with them, or or your your take on on what it's like to experience them as an actual, you know, someone with a disability? Yeah, sure. Okay, so so as I said, I'm actually working on an article about that, so it's even hard for me to kind of like wrap my head around all those concepts, but I'm going to try to sort of like um, simplify it a bit. Um, When it comes to, uh, in general, I haven't had any tangible experience with either of those communities. Now with social media, things are becoming easier to find. So just with a hashtag, you're already putting a collection of, you know, items um, for those people in general. So before, whereas they need, they had to actively try to find maybe pictures of amputees. Now they could go on Instagram and just find a specific hashtag and find the, an account that they would either want to follow or get in touch with that person, if that makes sense. Yeah. So now it's even easier for someone in those communities to find what they're looking for. Um, and for me, the longest I've tried to figure out why I was so uneasy with this whole term of trans transable, um, transableism. To me, I've always looked at it on a personal level, seeing how for a lot of people there was there has been so much pain getting to where they are, whether they're like paralyzed or um or they have an amputation, there was a lot of the times there was something that led to that. And that carries a lot of pain. Right. Mm. And even if someone was born that way, then seeing how you're excluded in society or how things are not very much accessible, there's a lot of frustration on that. And even if you do have a sense of pride, so seeing someone waking up one day and deciding, Oh, I I feel like I was meant to have one arm, I'm going to, I'm going to chop my hand off, or I feel like I was meant to be in a wheelchair. So I'm going to buy a wheelchair and kind of like wheel around the house. So to me, you're kind of like picking or glamorizing some part of it, um, picking what's easy. Cause I'm sure if someone's pretending to be in a wheelchair, they could just, you know, ditch that wheelchair and go up the stairs when the challenges actually come to them. Mm. So to me, that's, that has been my whole thinking about it. But at some point I had to step back a little bit and think, but how is that, how is it different from transgenderism and try to see the parallel between those two communities too? Wow. You know? Yeah. Because for a long time, um, transgenderism was seen as a mental disorder, which is how transableism is being seen now. Hmm. So, and I've heard several counter arguments about why they're so different, but frankly, 
I don't see that much of a difference. So that's why I sort of like stay away from judging that community too much, even though I do have sort of like this, you know, aftertaste and not very fond of that whole community. But when it comes to the devotee communities, that's where I have a big problem because um, it's one thing to fetishize like an item, but fetishizing a whole person, to me, that's completely wrong. Because at this point, you you value the person for that specific thing, and you don't even see that person as a whole. Yeah, yeah. There's no there's no actual connection to the personality and the being behind. It's more exactly. the thing. It's more the you know exactly. I like redheads. Um, it's mm-hmm. something that just kind of objectifies exactly instead of exactly. instead of values. So have you yeah. had people either date you and then you found out mid-date what what you're dealing with or have you I mean I feel like it's one of those things that would probably be kind of hard to to spot. Um for me, I can I feel like I can confidently say that I haven't had any experience with those people in general, like even going out on dates with anyone like that and that's probably because I sort of like stay in my friend circle although I've done like dating apps but I think there and this is another thing that I'm working on with this article is trying to give um a clear like different bullet points of how you can spot such person Mm. and yes it is going to be hard um and don't get me wrong I feel like some maybe some some people with disabilities actually actively look for those people so that's something to be aware also, because I feel like there there's slightly a comfort in it, knowing that um, I think in general a lot of people with disabilities are not because they haven't been viewed as you know sexual objects in general, or they're not um, they're never included in those spaces where people talk about relationships and all. Um, I feel like a lot of them feel like they're they wouldn't be desired, so for them having someone who desires only what they have, it would be a comfort thing. So for them, it's like a sure thing. Okay. This person is definitely going to be interested in me because that's what they're looking for. Yeah. There's almost like a, a codependent kind of enabling where it's like, I need you, you need me. I can, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I'm not speaking from experience obviously, but I could see where that would be comforting to someone. Yeah. So I think, um, but I think what it comes from, it's not, not knowing your value in general, not being confident enough. So you try to go where, where you feel the most comfortable, I think. Um, and maybe there are people who are dating someone like that and who don't even know it. That's probably the scariest thing. Yeah. Yeah. I can, I can, what comes up for me is almost like betrayal. I would be like, hang on a second. Mm -hmm, This this is not, this is something that should have been disclosed. Yeah, yeah. I kind of want to back up a, a second. And uh-huh. I know when you said that you've heard this community be kind of compared to the transgender community uh-huh. and that not necessarily that you agree with it, but you've heard arguments about it. What are those arguments? In terms of argument separating those two communities? In terms of comparing them, like the, saying that... Um, no, because... What I was saying is that on my end, I, it it was hard for me separating those two in terms of thinking about them as completely different because I saw so many similarities. Um, 
Whereas I think for some people, um, they want to see them as completely different. Hmm. Okay. So what are some differences and some similarities between identifying as transgender and as transable? Yeah. So I would say similarities that I personally see is that you have someone who was born a certain way and has had this feeling for a long time, sometimes even through childhood, thinking they weren't meant to be this way. Mm. Right. And I think it's the same with um, transableism. Um, for some people, they say they've, al- they've always known they were meant to have one arm. Um, and their goal had, had always been to try to make that happen. And when, when they finally did, they felt whole. Hmm. Right. Hmm. So I, I think with that, there's a lot of similarities. Um, in terms of differences, I mean, I feel like I would have to kind of like think about that a little bit, but yeah, even as you were saying it and you were introducing the the term and the concept, mm-hmm. I was thinking, wow, I wonder how those communities relate to transgender communities because mm-hmm, at mm-hmm. what point do you say that it's okay to to be born feeling that you were born in the wrong body? Um, yeah, yeah. And whether it has to do with gender or whether it has to do with, as you were saying, if it, even if it comes to like, I, I believe I was only meant to have one arm. Um, if we want to embrace the transgender community, then is there a different line in saying, well, except now it's a different story. If we're talking Mm -hmm. about trans ableism, that's really interesting. Yeah. I'm really fascinated by that. And I'm really excited to hear that you're working on an article about it because um, I think even like you were saying at the beginning of this discussion, for someone who isn't in the community of people with disabilities, it isn't something that I see talked about. And so I wouldn't know, like, what is what is the right way to approach the community? Or, you know, let's say someone who has a disability wants to date someone who doesn't have a disability. Like what, what is the right way to ask that person out? Or is there, Mm -hmm. is there a right way? Or um, like, those are questions that I don't, I don't hear anyone talking about that. So, so yeah, I mean, do you ask anyone out on dates? How does that go? Do you prefer people to ask you out on, you know, how does that work? Yeah, so for me, I mean, one major part of this article is actually trying to um, reach out to, like, the younger crowd um, and talking about healthy dating habits almost, Um, like what not to do, what to do, if this is not what you're looking for, how to spot it, you know, a mile away sort of thing. And I think when it comes to dating overall, I think it's just like everyone else. Like, you – I don't think people should – think about it too much really I think if you're the kind of person who in general would have gone up to someone and asked them out um then by all means like do that I I don't think um having a disability should stop that but now in the age of sort of like dating apps change up things have changed a little bit so you're not just coming up to someone and them seeing you um in having a conversation you're online, you have a picture of your face, you're having a conversation. And at some point you have to make that decision, whether you want to disclose that you do have one or whether you don't want to, 
Yeah. Questions about should I post a picture where my assistive device is showing or should I not post one, you know? Um, and to me, I always, what I always tell people, it's like post, um, what, wherever you think you're attractive, not even thinking about those devices. But the reality is, again, if you're trying to, um, kind of like avoid a certain group of people, you have to try not to disclose those things or not to show them. But then again, if you're trying to also weed out someone who's going to reject you on a first date because of those things, then it's also good to disclose it. So there's no wrong or right answer. It's really just going with the flow and see what works. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So are you on dating apps at the moment? Um, girl, I used to be, but I took a break because dating in general is really frustrating, yeah. <laughs> emotionally draining for no reason whatsoever. So, but I used to be, yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I love your answer. Um, <laughs> so, so has there ever been anything in your dating profiles that have led on to the fact that you have a disability? So before, um, it wasn't. So when I first sort of like started, it would be strictly face shots, things that are covered. Um, but then again, I could say, um, at that point also, I wasn't wearing, um, a prosthetic where you could actually see that I was wearing a prosthetic. So my life was all about concealing it. And in the dating world, it was also about concealing it. Um, and it's not something that I would mention at all. Um, but I did have, I suspected that a lot of the times when I went on a first date, it wouldn't lead to a second date. And I had this feeling that that was the reason. Hmm. So my thing was, um, I think once I started get, um, becoming like more confident, um, I decided, you know what, I'm going to post the same kind of pictures I have on Instagram. Those are the kind of pictures I'm going to post. So at this point, it's not even up to having a conversation about, you know, whether I'm in MPT or not, it's like, you see it in the pictures right away. And if someone decides to have a conversation, then, you know, so be it. And then let's go out on a date. I think that's how I've approached it. But I did actually go on a date with a guy twice and he didn't know. Oh, really? Yeah. Until sort of like third date. And it was the most awkward thing ever for me. And it was very, I'm the kind of person who gets a lot of like anxiety attacks and I feel like it was the worst anxiety attack I've had I had in my life when it was that moment to tell him about it. Oh my gosh. What did he do? It, uh, it was really bad. Was this a long time ago or was it, was it? Um, not really. It was, uh, maybe three years ago. Okay. And you, yeah, so you had it, you, did you meet online? We, yeah, we did. We met online. And this was before um, your dating profile set or had photos that, that showed. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Okay. And you know, now there's an option where you can like link stuff to your Instagram. Yeah. Um, I think mine was, oh my God. Now that I'm thinking about it. It was, it was actually a, a nightmare. Um, I have to walk you through the steps. So we end up meeting up and I had, um, my leg was covered with a foam. So you, it looked exactly like a normal leg. Maybe it was slightly thinner, but no one would know. I had tights over it so that you wouldn't see that the, the color was slightly lighter than my skin. Um, and there was a lot of time put into grooming, trying to get this thing to look as, you know, average as it could. 
So I go on this date. It goes really well. But at that point, I also had crutches. So there's always question, why do you have the crutches? And my thing is always, oh, I had a surgery. Um, and I find that a lot of the times when I kept the answers like really vague, they figured I didn't want to talk too much about it. So not a lot of questions were being asked, right? So this particular person, we ended up going on a second date. Um, and then I went away for a while, but we kept messaging. So we got a bit closer, even though we were seeing each other as, um, as often. And then I got to a point where I knew if we're getting this close, I would have to talk about those things. So I decided to text him and I did tell him and it took him maybe less than three minutes to reply to my text, which where I basically said, I have to tell you something. Um, I have a prosthetic leg. And I told him it was because of the cancer. So although it took him less than three minutes to answer back, it felt like an hour. Mm. And my heart was just like beating away from my chest. And it was to a point where I couldn't even breathe. I literally just took my shirt off, laid on the floor. Because usually I feel like I feel like having something cold against my chest kind of helps when I when I have anxiety attacks. So yeah, that's what I did waiting for this text back. And I was like, Oh, I was dying. And then when I finally did, his reply was basically, I wouldn't think less of you because of that. I went out with you because of your personality and nothing has changed. So yeah, that was basically the reply. Oh, wow. Yeah. And, um, and obviously he wanted to know why I decided to tell him now those kind of things. So it wasn't as bad, I guess, as I thought it would be, although I was panicking. But to be fair, it could have gone a different route, you know? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So, yeah. Absolutely. That's a very vulnerable thing to share, especially when it's a new new connection. I can only imagine that that would be somewhat horrifying, and it sounds like it was. I'm glad that he was cool about it because, I mean, have you ever had anyone be a douche about it? Uh, I don't think they would outright be a douche, but it's kind of like the, um, saying that I have a prosthetic and then, um, less texting eventually fades or not really making plans to meet or coming up with some really uh, nonsense excuse. So yeah, it's happened in the past. Um, so you were saying before, um, when it comes to asking people out or being asked out that, um, the disability community doesn't necessarily have a stance on this is how we want, this is how it should be, or this is how I want it to be. Are there things that the disability community wants the non-disability community to know? Is that, is that a weird way of questioning that? Yeah, because it's kind of like, we don't all want the same thing. Everyone's really different. Um, We all have different needs. So my, my opinion on it is not going to be the opinion of the whole disability community. You know, just like your opinion on dating is not going to be everyone's for me. First and foremost, I'm speaking as a woman, as a person with disability, as a black person, as a feminist. Mm. So, um, I, I know a lot of women in my circle who would never, ever ask a guy out for me. I have different dating rules. Like I don't care if I'm the one asking someone out or if they're, um, asking me out, like I would totally go up to someone and, you know, I'd probably just say, um, try to have it friendly at the beginning and then see where that leads, you know, but I'm not opposed to it. I've asked guys out in the past before. Um, and my only rule is that on a first date, I don't let a guy pay for my date. 
Mm. Um, it's always going Dutch on the first date. Um, and then sort of like at the beginning of dating, I have this rule that if I invite you to a place and I pay, and then if it's the other way, then you pay. I like that. And do you say that before you go? Do you verbalize that before you actually get there? Uh, no, not before I go. I would, when the check comes, basically, I would say, no, this is, I wanted to show you my favorite spot. So it's my treat, you know, mm. but I've gotten a bit of a pushback from some people. Um, and for me, that's kind of like a clear, um, way to know that this is not the person for me. Mm. Cause if you, if a guy picking up the check means they want to treat me, they want me to be happy, then I want to be able to do the same thing for that person too. I love that. Yeah. But at one point I went on a date once it became a battle. It's like, I'm like, no, I'm paying. And I basically give him an ultimatum. I'm like, okay, we either split or I take, um, the amount that my meal was supposed to be and give it as a tip. (laughs) That was like the thread of it. It was was horrible. Goodness. Oh my god. Yeah. But this guy was raised like in, to be like really macho. He believed in like gender roles and all that kind of stuff. So, but yeah, so like I said, um, for someone who's also disabled but um, believes in gender norms, then their ideas on dating are going to be completely different from mine. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. amazing. And I, I really, really hear you and respect what you're saying about generalizations. Why would every person with a disability want the same thing that you want? Um, and why would any straight white girl like me want exactly what I want. So I really hear that. I think that that's a, that's a really good thing to keep in mind. Would you say that in general, you, you feel really fine and you feel comfortable with people asking you really clear questions? Um, if people are, if they're either curious about your disability or about, you know, let's even say your sexuality, like you were saying at the beginning, um, a lot of people assume that the disability community is just kind of asexual. If someone came up to you and asked you of overt questions about your sexuality and or your disability, are you comfortable with that? For me, it depends on the situation. It depends on who's asking. And frankly, sometimes it depends on my mood. Like some <laughs> days I just don't want to be disclosing everything. Uh-huh. Um, and when I say it depends on the person's situation, if it's someone that I'm dating, yeah, there's, I feel like there are certain things they're allowed to ask if, you know, if this is going to lead to me having sex with that person. But at the same time, if it's just a stranger walking around and not even greeting me, just stopping me at a, at a traffic light and trying to learn everything about me in a split second and then go about their day, for me, I, I feel really uneasy about that. So it definitely depends. Does that happen? Yeah, it does happen. Um, where someone just comes up to me and say, what happened? Oh my. And usually I kind of like, sometimes I would lie. Oh, accident. Just keeping it one word, you yeah. know? Yeah. Um, and sometimes I would, you know, have that conversation, but I had to be conscious about who I'm sharing my space with, who I'm sharing my, just myself with. Um, and I remember the last time someone came up to me and said that I was like, first of all, you say, hi, you ask me how I'm doing, and then you can ask a question. And then we had to track back. It's like, Oh, hi, how are you? I said, I'm fine. And then did, you know, the normal introduction and then actually took the time to answer his question, you know? Wow. 
Good for you. I love that. Tell it, tell it like it is, girl. <laughs> Seriously. Yeah. Why is that okay? Um, yeah, that's that's really interesting. You live in New York again for now? Yeah. I live in New York now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And is that something that you find when you when you live there versus when you're traveling? Do you find any sort of difference in the way that you are, I guess, treated or even questioned? Yeah, definitely. I feel like there's certain places where people look at you, but there's no stare. There are other places where you go to and everyone is staring. And a lot of times it's not just the fact that I have a prosthetic. It's um, that it's some maybe a prosthetic that they've never seen before with those like intricate designs. Um, it's also the fact that I'm super tall um, in some places where I go. Or sometimes I go somewhere and I'm the darkest person there. So sometimes I have to keep in mind that they could be staring for so many different reasons. Mm. Um, And sometimes I go places where I guess they've never seen women with shaved head. Like people are always confused. Like, is she a woman? Is she a a guy? Um, And sometimes they come up to me. They ask me if if I'm a guy. (laughs) Really? Where? Yeah. Like I went to funny place. I went to Hamburg, Germany um, this summer. And this woman came up to my friend who was standing right next to me. And she said is it a man or a woman? So my friend said, it's a woman. And she said, then why is her voice so deep? Oh my. (laughs) So yeah, I mean, you get different experiences in different places and that's not even to talk about Germany as a whole. This, this woman was like from a small town, um, very old. So yeah, there are so many, um, things that differ from places, but yeah, but I think in general, people are kind of the same <laughs> wherever you go. Yeah, yeah. Oh, my gosh, that's so fascinating. And to me, I crack up at that because I know you to be someone who has, like, a tall, feminine goddess kind of energy. Like, when you walk into a room, you are tall and you are – it's like you – I mean, people – like, you're right. People could be staring at you f- for any number of reasons because you have gorgeous dark skin or because – you know, like you're, you're a stunning, striking presence. It's not like people can just ignore you because, um, you do have such a large energy. But when I hear that people are making commentary on how low your voice is, I'm like, I'm sorry, (laughs) what? And I mean, I, I like the raspy voice in general. I've always admired that in other women. Um, my thing is, and sometimes I do have those days like when I'm not wearing makeup, I don't have my eyebrows on, I don't have lipstick on, I'm wearing a shirt, no boobs are showing. I feel like from from a distance, I can kind of see how someone would mistake me for a guy in general. But my answer is always the same. Um, when someone comments under my picture, probably not knowing that I'm reading comments, they're like, can someone tell me if this is a woman or a guy? My reply is always the same. Why does it matter? Mm. It's read the caption. There's a message there. Take in the message. And that's it. Preach, girl. Snaps yeah. for that. I love that so much. <laughs> okay, so I want to I want to go back to one of the things that we were talking about at the beginning of this conversation when you were saying that when you first got into social media and online, it was kind of before you were almost fully secure and fully embracing of yourself and of your own your own process. And now that that is such a huge I would say a part of who you are online and I'm wondering, is it a part of who you are in, in real life as well? Is there a crossover between who you are online and who you are in real life? And can you tell me a little bit about what that process has looked like? Yeah, I think there's a huge crossover now because 
um, before I feel like I put out this alter ego that I call Mama Cax, um, I put her out because this is what I wanted to be in the future. I'm like, you know what? If I was bold enough and if I really loved myself, I would be that person. I would call her Mama Cax and this is what she would do. This is how she would answer this or these, that or this question. This is what she would be doing in life. And it's crazy because I've become her, mm. you know? Um, but that being said, that doesn't stop me from, from having, you know, the day-to-day insecurities in general. Like sometimes I literally wake up and I'm in bed. I'm like, you know what? I just don't feel like waking up and putting a leg on is just annoying. Or sometimes going up and down the stairs in, in New York trying to catch trains. And I get really frustrated thinking, why couldn't, why can't I just walk without crutches? You know, those are the things that kind of like frustrate me on a daily basis. Or even when it's summer, you're going to the beach and you're seeing all those girls, like their flat abs, no scars and that sort of thing. And I look at myself, I'm like, fuck, yeah, I'm going to have to take out this cover if I want to go to in the water. So those are still things that bother me. And frankly, that will continue to bother me. Um, probably there, there are probably going to be more things added to that. Um, probably more stretch marks, saggy boobs and all that kind of things. Um, aging lines. I feel like all those things are going to be adding to it. And I'm pretty sure I'm going to be hating and loving them all at the same time. And, but I think maybe what's different now on my social media is that I choose to focus more on the positive than the negative. Mm. Um, or so talking more about this is what I, this is what I do to try to love myself more as opposed to, I still don't like this thing. So it's also the way you phrase it. Like I, I saw something posted recently on social media. It says the way you talk to yourself matters. And you, I feel like using positive words or the way you frame them um gives you a whole different experience oh absolutely that is a hundred percent true of my experience as well and i and i think that you're right in saying that how we talk to ourselves matters and also coming from positivity i can say oh my gosh i had the shittiest sleep last night i woke up like 14 times and I, i couldn't really get a good night's sleep and it was it was pretty brutal Or I could say, wow, all right, I had a nice little relaxation in my bed for a few hours, even Mm -hmm. uh, even if it wasn't, you know, exactly the sleep I was looking for. I I got to relax in a comfortable bed where I was safe and warm and Mm -hmm. thank God for coffee, you know, and it's exactly the same scenario. But I'm telling the story in a totally different way. And I think that it's really important for everyone, but especially as women right now in this time in history, it's really important for us to be telling stories that empower us to keep going with the work that we're doing and mm-hmm. to, you know, respect each other and respect ourselves. And um, like you sort of said, to almost create this alter ego of who you want to become yeah. um, because what you put your energy towards is what happens. And so I love that you said that you created your kind of own superhero and that you became her and, and that now that's, that's someone that who you can identify with and be 
um, every day. It's kind of almost like the musicians who create their online personas um, or sorry, their onstage personas, whether it's, Mm -hmm. um, you know, like Bowie and Ziggy Stardust and, you know, Beyonce and Sasha Fierce and everyone Mm -hmm. sort of has this character that they play. And yet after a while, that character can kind of become who you actually are or who you who you really are or just is like a set of tools that you can pull from whenever you need to because you know how to play that character so well. I love too that you're honest about like it's not like I'm always that. It's not like I'm No, always... not at all. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And sometimes I also can't even believe it. I wake up I'm like I don't know, it's weird even though I've had I've had my imputation for like 10 years now, some days I do wake up and I'm like, I can't believe this is me. Mm. You know, kind of like this out of body um, experience. It's like, oh, wow, I guess I do have one leg and I'm going to have to continue and do everything else for the day and the rest of my life. But sometimes it is surreal. Mm. Um, But I think what I always say, and this is my motto in general, especially when someone's like, when people are using um, social media and how social media has been used in the past couple of years, it's, it's okay to filter your pictures, but do not filter your emotions. Like tell it like it is. So many people are hiding so many things and living double lives, trying to have this image out there. My thing is I'll, I'll edit my pictures. I'll put filters on them. But when it comes to my emotions and my mind, I will speak them as they are. Mm. Wow. I, I feel like there needs to be just a moment of silence for how awesome <laughs> that was. That's, like, <laughs> that was. that's the goods right there. Do you put a lot of your process online, either in either in your blog or in your, in your stories or in your captions? Will you, will you talk about, um, you know, today's one of the really hard days. I, I do actually, I do. Um, I think what I tried to do is wait until I'm in a place where I feel like things got better and then make it into mm. a storytelling. I have those, I have those posts that I call story time. Um, and I usually wait for the wave to pass and then give a story yeah. time as, as opposed to in the moment. Um, although I kind of do that on, on the story, um, like on Instagram story, this is something you would see more on Instagram story, but as a post or as a blog, it would be kind of like waiting to see how I can resolve something or how I can approach it differently. And then not only talking about the challenges, but how I face them and how mm. I'm in a better place, yeah. you know, cause I, I think so many people are going to so many different things and the, um, the biggest thing is always the easiest thing is always to try and give up. But I think it's great when someone can see, um, what you've gone through and then you've tried to make the best out of a situation. Yeah. I like to give the full picture. You don't tend to post in, in the midst of the storm, so to speak, but you might, you might do a little story on it and then you wait till the other side when you come when you sort of come yeah. through the clouds um to then actually post about it yeah that makes mm-hmm. sense I, I can see that that working and I think I probably relate to that on a big level it's difficult to share with clarity when you're in the middle of it and also because you are someone and I think I am as well someone who does really care about putting telling things in a positive way and sometimes mm-hmm. it's in the middle of it it can be difficult to be clear on 
how do I tell this in a way, you know, how do I tell my story in a way that has a positive outlook? Um, because I'm still in the trenches, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I think for me, it's also, um, my personality always be able to offer solutions to people. And I know if they're going through similar things, me posting that I'm going through it, sure. They can see, Oh, she's going through it too. So, um, that's fine for me. This is not enough for me. It's enough to say, this is what I've gone through. And then maybe through trial and error, I found something that worked and say, this is what I did. And this is what worked for me, or this is how I dealt with it. So they can take a lesson from it mm. or even tried themselves, you know? And I think one of the biggest example that I can give was, um, in June, um, I was featured in glamour magazine and it was kind of like a picture of me in a bikini and talking about, um, the journey through like body positivity and how I try to like encourage people to do the same. And when I posted about it on Instagram, it was also screenshotting different negative comments that people have posted about me on social media. Mm. And to me, that was a way of saying all the beautiful posts you see here on Instagram are me or pictures of that I've posted knowing that there were negative things out there and also filtering the negative stuff because I want my page to always be space of of positivity. Um, and specifically, uh, it was a picture that refinery 29 posted that sort of like went around. It was kind of like talking about how I go to the beach in my body basically. Um, and I found that a lot of men specifically were tagging their friends and asking, literally asking the friends under the picture, would you hit that? Wow. And it, or someone actually even took the picture, posted it on Facebook, and saying, "If if she was the only woman on earth, would you would you still marry her?" Wow, you know. So those kind of things that I decide not to share because it's like, what's the point? Like, I mean, when it did come out, it really I, at this point I decided I was gonna actually delete my whole Instagram, but it was my way of saying I decided to keep going, and this is where it landed me in a in, in a magazine. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, in the, in the process of all of that, I can see where that would be almost a little bit of a, of an ugly process because you also have to let yourself go through the shock and hurt and kind of grief of having people say things like that. Like that's the thing that I think is so interesting about social media is that it's so easy to dehumanize the people that are online and just and just be like, oh, I can I can say whatever I want about them because they're not sitting right next to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet you're a real human who is reading those comments and they're yeah. your feelings and they're it's your heart and it's your life that people are making commentary on. And I think that the fact that we can just disconnect from that, you know, as a society and just be like you know, whether it's we're talking about celebrities or people online, the fact that we can just talk about them and say, um, can you believe what she's wearing? Or like she went a little too hard on the on the Botox or whatever it is, or mm-hmm. or whether it's people talking about you and saying, would you hit that? Like, it's kind of like, hello, I'm right here. 
I don't. I'm I reading don't. it. It's not even just me. Like someone who's probably like me is reading this thing. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. That it's that is a really appalling reality. Um, my like protective self comes out and wants to be like, okay, I need to reply to these comments and tell them, you know, and defend. And then the other part of me is just like, they're probably like that in their real life anyway. They're probably people who are just generally a little bit insensitive. And so maybe I just tell myself it's not personal um, and focus mm-hmm. on like, there are always going to be the haters and there are always going to be the people who don't, yeah, who don't get it. Do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, get out you know (laughs) yeah this has been so rad stick around for part two of this discussion where we'll dive into the online portion of social media realities this episode of out of line was produced by me caroline all sound editing engineering and original music composition by Jaden lee and a big thank you to cat footwear for working with out of line this season Hit subscribe to get the next episode on your mobile device when it drops next week. And if you love what you heard, please whip out a review, will ya?